Good morning and welcome to our morning service. Good to have you here this morning and good to see some folks on Zoom. Uh, saw earlier some names there. and It's good to be able to gather together to worship the Lord. We welcome Floyd Wilson with us this morning in the pulpit and pray, Floyd, that the Lord would bless as you open the word to us. Heavenly Father, we are here in your presence today to worship you, to recognize who you are and what you are like and how you have revealed yourself. You are the God Almighty. And we thank you that you have imparted your gift of strength to us. You give us physical strength to our bodies in a measure that you deem appropriate. And we also thank you for the inward strength that you give us for the circumstances that we face each day and for the character that we need to show in our relationships to others. And Lord, as we pray and thank you for your gift of strength, we pray for that for our leaders here in Canada, that they will recognize not only their need for physical strength for the tasks that are before them, but also for the inward strength, for the courage to do the right thing, to be willing to um, acknowledge what is true and to speak the truth, even though they may be mocked by others who have a different ungodly philosophy of life. And please help us as Canadian citizens, which we've been reminded of today, of how special that is to be citizens of Canada. And may we sense the responsibilities that we have as citizens to be people of integrity. And especially we remember all those who are born-again Christians here in Canada who, who claim and profess to believe the Bible and to live by what you teach us in it. And so, Lord, help us to do that in our daily lives, in our relationships with others. And here we are, a group of such believers in this sanctuary today. And so we commit ourselves afresh to you to be people who let you impart your physical and spiritual strength to us to live for you each day. And may the world notice that you are still changing us and making us more like Jesus, our Savior. Thank you, Lord, that you are the light of the world and that you have appointed us to be your light bearers in the world, helping people see that Jesus is the light of the world and that his light is shining through us so that they can recognize there is a Savior who is calling them to repent of their sin and trust in him to change their lives and give them eternal life. And so thank you, Lord, for this time to uh, speak to you and hear from you as we worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Local 
and national disasters happen. We endured two years of the COVID epidemic. This summer, we were plagued with smoke for, for a week or so. And you wonder, will it be a hurricane or a tornado next? In today's message, we're going to meet three Christians and 273 unbelievers who faced a crisis together. What we learn from their experience can help us endure the next crisis that comes. Before getting to the events of Acts 27, which I hope you will open your Bible to Acts 27, let's review what happened previously in the book of Acts. Paul was a former Jewish Pharisee converted to faith in Christ. The Lord called him to go on three missionary journeys, and after the completion of those, he went to Jerusalem. There he was accused of bringing a Gentile into the temple. Roman soldiers had to arrest Paul to save him from the wrath of his fellow Jews. When they plotted to assassinate Paul, the Romans took him to Caesarea on the Mediterranean coast. And there Paul had the opportunity to testify before two Roman governors in turn, first Felix and then secondly Festus. Realizing that his case might get transferred back to Jerusalem, where the people were trying to kill him, Paul appealed to the Caesar in Rome. So while he was awaiting transportation to Rome, Paul had the opportunity to witness to King Agrippa and others. So that brings us to the end of Acts 26. So we are ready to launch into the dramatic events of Acts 27. So, you have your Bible open? Acts 27, verse 1. And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. I have enjoyed the Thousand Islands cruise in Lake Ontario. I've also had the opportunity to go on the 30,000 island cruise in Georgian Bay, but I have never been to sea for an extended voyage. But I can just imagine that if I was on one of those big ocean-going ships, that it would become kind of like a community as you're there in this one place with maybe you know several hundred, even a thousand or more people on a, an ocean cruise. It's a temporary community, but it is a community. So what I want to say to you is that on this trip that Paul is about to take, there, verse 1 uh, tells us that on this ship there will be the ship's owner and crew, and there will be a Roman centurion and some soldiers under him, and then a third group will be a number of prisoners that includes Paul, and then a fourth group, there are other assorted passengers. So you got it? There are four groups of people, they're all together on this ship, supposedly to get to Rome eventually. So verse 1 identifies the centurion by name, calls him Julius, and it identifies his military unit, the Augustan Regiment. This assures me 
that in the account that follows, Luke, the author of Acts, is documenting real historical events. The entire Bible is like this, beginning with the creation and the flood of Genesis. So listen to Acts uh, 27, verses 2 through 8. So entering a ship of Adramitium, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coasts of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. And the next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. When we had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. When we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salomon. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lassia. Although Paul is a prisoner, he is on a commercial ship with civilian passengers among them. The we in verse 2 tells us that it is Luke who is with Paul, plus there is Aristarchus of Thessalonica. So those are the three Christians. There's Paul, Luke, and Aristarchus. Got that? And we have Julius, who is the, the Roman centurion, and that's all we know the names of, but but there are all these uh, several hundred other people on the ship. Now, it's really important that you understand, this is a sailing ship. This is not a steamship. <laughs> it's not a paddle wheel or whatever. It's a sailing ship. And we won't understand what has already happened here in Acts 27 and what will happen as we continue through this chapter, unless we know a little bit about sailing. Now, are there any people here who are sailors, who know about sailing? Okay, there are two or three. All right. I just want you to know, this is, this is telling you the honest truth. I have only ever been on a sailing ship one time in my life, and that was when I was a student in high school, my French teacher, took several of us out on Lake Skugog in his little sailboat. And that day I learned about sailing, okay? And I'm just going to just tell you the basics of sailing. The sail is this big cloth. It catches the wind, which pushes the boat forward. That motion forward is somewhat controlled and directed by a rudder at the back of the boat, which you have the handle on the rudder and it turns it like that. Okay, and try to keep the, the, the sailboat going in the right way. But what I, you all knew that already. But what I learned that day was about tacking. If the wind is blowing the boat in the direction that you want to go, you just put the sail up and away you go. But, if you have to go crossways to the wind or even almost into the wind, you can't do it. Like if the wind is blowing this way and you have a sailboat, you can't just sail this way if the wind's blowing this way, right? 
So what you have to do is tack, which means, okay, let's let, just pretend the wind is coming this way to moor me. And I want to go that way. I can't sail this way because the wind is going this way, but I can make the boat go so I sail like this. And then I do, they call turn it about or whatever, and they flip the sail and the rudder, and then you go on an angle this way, like this, and then you tack again, and then you go like that. You understand what I mean? Okay, that's how you can go kind of into the wind with a sailboat. And I learned that day when they flip the boom around, when they're at the point where they turn, the, the sail goes like this, right? <laughs> if you don't duck, it's going to be boom on your head. Right? So, okay, that's the basics of sailing. So you just need to know that, of course, wind direction and strength varies from day to day, hour by hour. And if you're sailing, the amount of progress you can make toward your destination depends how strong the wind is, what the direction is, and all the rest. And it takes a long time. You know, if you could just have the wind blow you from behind and go straight where you want to go, fine. But it sure adds a lot of time when you have to go like this, right? You get it? Okay. And if the wind is really strong and, and directly against you, you may not be able to get to where you want to go. You just can't get there in a sailboat. So in verse four, the captain of Paul's ship tries to minimize the effect of strong winds by sailing in the most sheltered bodies of water he can find. And in this case, between the islands of Cyprus and the mainland, perhaps on your map, if you can see it in your little outline there, or if it's showing, which I hope it is, okay, you can see that if he goes, like see land shelters, you know, the, somehow you get some shelter from land, and so if he can go between two bodies of land, then he's, he's sheltered somewhat. So that's what his idea is. He, he travels in that area. So upon reaching Myra, they had to get off the ship that they were on, which that ship was heading back to its home port of Adramidium. Uh, they had to get on another ship, which actually would be going on to Rome, which was their destination. And again, they had trouble with the strong winds. And they have to sail to the south coast of Crete and find shelter at a place called Fair Havens. Now, most of us have had car ships, or car ships, <laughs> car trips that took longer than we expected because of bad weather. Well, this is a case of bad weather. They have bad weather most all the time. Everything is hard, and, and they, they make their way forward with great difficulty. And when you have bad weather, it doesn't help to get upset. It doesn't improve things at all. You just drive carefully and hope there's a place to stop and get out of the storm and wait for it to pass. Well, let's read on, verses 9 through 12. Now, when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, 
the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete opening toward the southwest and northwest and winter there. So it's the end of September or early October here. It's late in the sailing season on the Mediterranean Sea. Like the weather is pretty good for sailing in the summer, but when you get to, quote, the winter, it gets real bad weather. And so when you're sailing on ships, you just say, I'm not going out until February. And that's how it would be. And they had a big discussion here. Fair Havens is not the most comfortable harbor and the facilities on shore and all the rest. It isn't the greatest place to stay for um, four months or so until the sailing season resumes. Let's see if we can get to Phoenix and anchor there. Their harbor is better. Now, I checked this out. There's only 65 kilometers that they had to travel. That's about the distance between Sudbury and Espanola. Okay? And so the discussion was, do we do it or not? We're at the end of the sailing season. Do we risk going on or do we stay where we are where it's not quite as comfortable? Remember what I said about the ship being a kind of community? Well, although Paul is a prisoner, he is part of the ship's community. And there's lots of discussion about what they should do. So as we read, Paul took the opportunity to give his opinion of whether they should stay or go. Paul thought they should stay. He thought it would be extremely risky to go. Now, let's suppose, let's bring this up to today. If there was a, an emergency, you would take action in that emergency, right? If you saw your neighbor's house was on fire, you definitely would phone 911, wouldn't you? Uh, if you noticed that the highway is flooded, you would call MTO so they could put up warning signs. Whatever the crisis is, you would give your opinion, you would say what and do what should be done in that crisis. But sometimes in life, the crisis hasn't happened yet. It just could happen. Now that's the closest to what is happening here. There's no crisis. The ship is sitting in the harbor at Fair Havens. There's no crisis. But there could be a crisis if they went out on the, on the uh, Mediterranean Sea again. Okay? And sometimes that happens with us. And we're part of a group that's trying to decide whether to go out on the highway, even though the weather forecasters say there could be whiteouts and black ice. Uh, or maybe our group that we're with is lost in the bush, or maybe it's lost in the city of Toronto. <laughs> anyway, the group is trying to decide which way to go, <laughs> what to do. And you can give your opinion of, I think we should go that way. Or I think we should do this. But if you're part of a group, you're just one little voice, right? The group might decide, the majority might decide, we're going to go in this way, even though you think you should go that way. Or the person who is in authority of your group should say, well, I heard all your opinions, but I've decided we're going this way. <laughs> okay? And that is basically what happens here. Paul is just part of the group. He gives his opinion, and the majority thinks they should go on. They disregard Paul's advice. He's only a prisoner anyway. <laughs> so let's read on uh, Acts 27:13 through 20. 
When the south wind blew softly, supposing they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose. Remember, a headwind called Euroclidon. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Claudia, we secured the skiff with difficulty. When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship. And fearing lest they should run aground on the Sirtis sands, they struck sail and so were driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. So as you heard, after setting sail, the weather was so great. The wind was just blowing perfectly. Then the weather changed unexpectedly. Those in charge did their best to cope with these changed weather conditions affecting the ship. Eventually, they had to take down the sails totally and just let the wind blow the ship wherever it wanted to go on the open sea. This danger to the ship and everybody on board continued day after day. It's one thing to be out sailing on the afternoon and you have a two-hour storm and, right, and you get home or something. This was day after day after day out in the Mediterranean Sea. And they couldn't control where they went because the wind was so strong. They had to just take the sails down and just let the boat be blown. And so they, the people, everybody, gave up hope of being saved. We're all doomed to die. Now, I don't think anybody here is actually facing that right this moment. But you could be facing some humanly impossible circumstances now or in the future. You don't see any way how this could end, end positively. It feels hopeless to you or to me. Now, I may not have enough wisdom to say to you in a particular situation, you ought to do this or that, but I can speak generally based on what the Bible teaches about the God we serve and know. No matter what your circumstances are mine, we can trust God and his provision. If it is God's will that you or I die, he will give us courage to endure whatever the process may be. If God wants us to live, he will provide the means for it to happen. He may give us an idea that others didn't think of. He may change the weather or the circumstances or he may send somebody along to uh, deliver us. Now we're back to Acts 27. So the ship and everybody on board is in serious, serious trouble. They've even given up all hope. They figure they're all going to die. 21 through 26. But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there, is, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night 
an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. By this time, those who were in charge on that ship knew they had made a terrible, terrible mistake in setting out. They had not listened to Paul's advice previously, but now they were ready to hear what the prisoner had to say. Now it was Paul's opportunity to give a witness for God. Although they should have stayed at Fair Havens, there was still hope for them. Paul urged that everyone take heart because they would not die. Only the ship will be lost. Paul's statement that they would be okay was not a refusal to accept the reality of their present danger. It was not wishful thinking or a delusion on his part. Paul was stating what he believed to be true based on a revelation from God brought by an angel. That message was, don't fear, Paul. You're going to live to stand before the Caesar in Rome. And as well as preserving you, I may as well preserve everybody else's life. <laughs> Everybody's going to be okay. So this was revelation from God. So on this basis that he had heard from God, he could confidently say to everybody present, I believe God will do what he said. We're going to be okay. But just be ready, we're going to crash into an island. Today in Canada, people need a message of hope. If God prompts us with a certain verse that we can share with people in a certain situation that we may be in, we should share that verse. It's what God wants to say to us or, or to those present at that time. And when people's minds are turned toward God, and maybe that's all it takes is us to share a verse with them to turn their minds toward God, then they can be starting to trust in God, not in us or anything else, but to trust in the Lord. Acts 27, beginning at verse 27 through 32. Now when the 14th night had come, as we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea, that's a, a, an attachment to the Mediterranean Sea, <laughs> about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. And they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little farther, they took soundings again and found it to be 15 fathoms. Then, fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had let down the skiff into the sea under the pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall off. Now the sailors are rightly concerned about the water depth. Did you know that a ship has part that goes below the water level? <laughs> the water surface? And if there are rocks that are there underneath, 
far enough closest to the surface that they'll catch the ship as it goes by, it's going to do some rather serious damage. All right? So, if the ship runs aground, it, it could grind to a halt where it is, out wherever, or it could have its hull punctured, you know, like the Titanic. Titanic. So that can happen. And so that is why they are measuring the depth of the water when they think they're getting near land. And that's why they're throwing these anchors out the back to slow the ship down in case they hit something so they can just nudge it or something. But even with these precautions, the sailors, these are sailors, right? They've been out there before. These are sailors and they are in a panic. And on their own, they decide to abandon ship. And they put down this little rowboat, like the skiff, the thing that's supposed to take you to shore. You know, if you're anchored in the harbor, it's the little boat to take you to shore. Uh, they're going to escape. They're going to leave everybody on the ship to whatever, and they're going to escape in the, in the little rowboat or skiff. And Paul urges them, urges the, um, the centurion and says, now he's the head of the soldiers, and he said, don't let the sailors do that, because if you do, we're all going to be lost. We, we, everybody's life depends on everybody staying on the ship. So they cut away the ropes and let the skiff go. Sometimes it's necessary for you and I to inform the authorities of the dangerous things that other people are planning. If we do that, it's not being a tattletale. It's just saving those other people from their stupidity. <laughs> okay? Sometimes you do have to tell the people in authority. Okay, 33 through 38. And as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the 14th day you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and also took food themselves. And in all, we were 276 persons on the ship. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. So from Paul's report in verse 33, the tension on that ship is so high that the people hadn't even eaten for two weeks. Now, how many of you here have gone without food for two weeks? No? Okay, I haven't either. <laughs> but I have for maybe six days or so. And I know you get weak after that time. These people had gone without food for two weeks and were working at the same time. So I can just imagine the shape that they were in. And Paul's counsel now is relax. Just relax a bit and let's eat. None of us is going to die, but we might have to do a little swimming. So we should eat something first. So setting an example, Paul took bread and he gave thanks to God with everybody watching. Now, don't you think saying grace with everybody else hearing in such a circumstance is a witness? Does anybody agree with that? It's a witness? It is a witness. And Paul gives that witness. He prays, he thanks God for the food. I'm sure he thanked God for being with them. And he encouraged those people to accept the food and to eat. 
And that food gave them enough energy, as it says here, to throw the cargo of grain overboard. (laughs) Remember, the owner of the ship is there. (laughs) The ship can now ride a little higher in the water, and maybe it'll pass over some rocks as they get closer to shore before it runs aground. So I like the combination of trusting in the Lord and working at the same time. Okay? You pray, you commit yourself to God, and throw the weed overboard. <laughs> okay? And that's the normal way God gets things done. We, we pray, we trust Him, and we work. Right? It both works together. 39 through the end of the chapter. When it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship, if possible. And they let go the anchors and left them in the sea. Meanwhile, loosing the rudder ropes, they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. But striking a place where the two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable. But the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. And the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land. And the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship. And so it was that they all escaped safely to land. So, do you get what was happening? Upon seeing the land, they decided to cut those anchors, the four anchors from the back of the ship, just cut them off, hoist the mainsail, and go to the beach as fast as you can. Unfortunately, they didn't quite make the beach. (laughs) There were some rocks under the water, like I said, and the ship got stuck in those rocks. And the big waves were crashing against the back of the ship, breaking it up. And of course, as we read, the soldiers were fearing the prisoners are going to get away, so we better kill them first, and uh, and we'll get away. (laughs) Uh, But the centurion, he really cares for Paul. He has all along, and he wants to save him. And that desire to save Paul saved the lives of all the other prisoners as well. So some people swam, others used the floating pieces of the ship, and they all got safely to shore, just as the angel of God had promised. So all 276 people survived that shipwreck. Now, how many shipwrecks happen today where all the people survive? In the Mediterranean Sea, we're hearing it a lot of times, these ships of migrants trying to get across the Mediterranean to Europe. Uh, The ships sink and hundreds of them drown, okay? You know, for all 276 to survive, this is truly amazing, a miracle. I believe God can still intervene in the course of events to prevent a tragic outcome. Or he can intervene in a way that makes the result less harmful than it could have been. And other times, I can't explain why, God lets cause and effect take its course. Disasters do happen. People get hurt. Sometimes even Christian people get hurt in those disasters. And these could even be people that we know and love. And at such times, 
God's grace does uphold his people. He gives them comfort and peace and strength. And when these things sometimes happen, even to God's people, we don't understand why, God, did you let it happen? And I don't have the answer to those questions. God has the answer to that question. We just have to trust in him. So that means we're all going to face crisis in life, and we just have to believe that God is with us through those crises in life. And he might deliver us, he might help us. The crisis may overwhelm us. For God's purposes, he he lets it happen. I, I don't have the answer to that. But what I do know is that afterwards, there is heaven. We have a future that is for sure, even though we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Are we willing to trust God? I hope we are. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this example of people who faced a great crisis and you delivered them. It wasn't easy, but you delivered them. And Lord, we just pray that you will deliver us and those for whom we pray and know and, and the, to the extent that you know is best and according to your everlasting plan that glorifies you and that if we just knew all of your reasons why, we would agree with you but we don't. So we just trust you in the meantime and know that you are with us no matter what we face in life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.